Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn to James chapter 5, and we'll pick up in verse 13, and the power of prayer. How many of you actually believe in the power of prayer? If you don't, I hope by the time you leave tonight, you will. There are actually two offensive weapons listed by the Apostle Paul as he writes to the church at Ephesus, and they are prayer and the word of God. That's it. There's only two weapons that we really see in Scripture that we can wield against the enemy, against his devices, against his plans. What the enemy intends for evil, God can purpose for good, but he does expect his people to ask for that good. Watchman Nee said that Prayer is really the railroad tracks that tell the engine of the power of God where to go. And it's so true. So often we have not because we ask not or we ask amiss. We're not asking the right question at the right time or maybe even addressing the right person. And so tonight we finish up James and the power of prayer. I want to tell you that before we pray... I'm probably going to mess with some of your theology tonight because this is also one of the most abused passages of Scripture in the entire New Testament. It is often used by faith healers, so-called, faith preachers, so-called, word-faith churches, so-called, to try and prove the point that if you simply ask God something, He is obligated to do it. And if you came tonight believing that, then get prepared to have what you believe challenged and hopefully squared away to align with what the scriptures actually teach regarding prayer, very specifically prayer for those who are sick. And so would you join me? And let's ask the king to speak to our minds and our hearts. Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, tonight we're asking you to speak to us, to take your word, massage our hearts with it, fill our minds with it, endue us with power by the Holy Spirit to pray powerful prayers. Use your word to instruct your church tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I am going to give you some very specific details throughout tonight's study, and I want to strongly encourage you to write them down or to download the PowerPoint slides, which will have largely that information on them. Is anyone among you suffering? First, let me give you an insight. That word suffering does not exclusively mean and does not primarily mean is anyone among you sick 
It means, are you suffering? And the intent there is to draw your attention to the context of the entirety of the rest of this passage. Suffering. Make sure that you don't confuse suffering with physical maladies. It doesn't say, does anyone among you have tuberculosis? It doesn't say, does anyone among you have cancer? It doesn't say, does anyone among you have a specific type of heart disease? It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? This particular word is the standard Greek word for physical sickness. But there's going to be a subsequent word used that has nothing to do with physical sickness, and it is identified as such by the context. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. There's the second word. And we'll take these apart as we go through the passage tonight. And the Lord will raise him up. And here is where it gets very specific as to the context. And if he has committed any sin, circle the word if. Because it's a very specific if that's in view there. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses. Notice it doesn't say maladies. It says sins, those things which are contrary to God's word to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. In fact... The whole focus of these verses is not physical sickness. It's sin. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And here's where you start to see the definition come very clear. Any of you who know your Bibles, do you recall Elijah actually healing sickness? He raised the dead one time. That's a little different story. But what was Elijah's primary usefulness in, in so far as we know his prayer life? He was praying against the evil, the sin, the idolatry that was in the land. He was not a faith healer. He was a man that believed Israel was sick with sin. And his prayers were entirely focused on that endeavor. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The question for you to begin pondering is, what was that prayer all about? Was it about somebody being sick, or was it about the nation Israel being completely disobedient to God? And I think you already know the answer. Brethren, if anyone wanders from the truth, does that say if anyone keeps smoking? Does that say if anyone has diabetes? 
It says, as anyone wanders from the truth. What truth? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. He is, in fact, the embodiment, the fullness of all truth. But that truth is spiritual truth that guides us to God the Father. It is not truth about medicine and sickness. If anyone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know, and here's the very specific context, let him know that he who turns a sinner, not a sick person, a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul, not save his life. Not cure his cancer, not fix his broken arm, turn him from his sinful ways and save his soul. The context of this passage means everything. And so be very careful about how you apply it. Because I've listened to countless pastors misapply this passage as if every time someone comes and you anoint them with oil and they are sick, they are going to get well. That is false teaching. The Bible does not declare ever anywhere that everyone, everyone who's prayed over is going to get well, including in, in this passage. But it does say if someone sinned and you turn them from their ways, that their soul will be redeemed now, here's what we do know. Every last soul that's saved one day is going to be healed from every last sickness. Amen? So get the focus of the passage properly. This is about saving someone's soul primarily. God chooses to heal often, and he certainly hears the prayers that we pray for people who are sick. This speaks specifically to the constant availability of prayer. Notice how it begins. And it really gives us three different types of people here in the first two verses, verses 13 and the first half of verse 14. It begins with three conditions. It's the resource. It's a weapon. It's something that we can use. But when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. It doesn't say all sickness, does it? Doesn't say all cancer, doesn't say all broken arms, doesn't say from the things that physically ail you, it doesn't even say from the things that mentally ail you, it says it's your sin. That's the guarantee of the prayer. The guarantee of the prayer is not a guaranteed healing of your physical malady, it's a guarantee of the forgiveness of your sin. Your sin. And so he points to a man who's clearly first overwhelmed. Is anyone suffering? The word that's translated suffering here means hardship in any way. It could be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be something that bothers them in their mind, it could be something that they're going through provisionally in their life. It literally could be anything. Let him pray. As long as we're in this world, we are in enemy territory, church. There are going to be things that will cause you to suffer. And so this is speaking to the constant availability of prayer. When you're suffering, 
go to the Lord with it. If it's physical, go to the Lord. If it's spiritual, definitely go to the Lord. If it's mental, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. When you are overwhelmed, when you don't know what to think, you don't know what to do, you don't know where to go, you don't know how to act, go to the King of Kings. God doesn't want us left to our own resources. And so he's blazed a highway through his son Jesus right into the throne room of God where God the Son sits ever making intercession. He's literally praying for you. But in a strange sense, God has invited us to join Jesus in that intercessory prayer to say, Lord, nevertheless, not thy will, but not my will, but thy will be done. When I pray those prayers, I say, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, but I want your will. I want you to step into my life in this area and whatever you want. God, if you want me to suffer, then let me suffer. If you want to heal me, heal me. Paul put it this way, if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? So the question is, are you going to pray the right kind of prayer for the right reason to the right person? A lot of people pray the wrong prayer. They just habitually just go after the same thing, and God has chosen not to answer it. And while I think it is very important that we continue to knock and seek and ask, God simply doesn't heal every malady. He doesn't take away every bit of poverty. He doesn't remove all of the things in our lives that cause us to suffer. In fact, the Bible implicitly says that we are to join Christ in the fellowship of suffering. In this world you will, Jesus said, have tribulation. He didn't say, well, try and escape it. He said, know this, I've overcome the world. He didn't say, I am going to have you overcome all the stuff. He says, I've overcome the world. So in me, you are also an overcomer of the world. When does that actually happen for most of us? when we take the final breath and we see Jesus. That's when we're completely free of the effects of this world. Until such a time, how dare we tell our brothers and sisters who live in third world countries who are suffering under oppressive regimes that they don't have enough faith, that's why they're in that situation. How dare we tell the vast majority of the world's population that goes to bed hungry, well, you must not have enough faith. You're, you say you're a believer, but you must go to bed hungry because you don't have enough faith. That is an anathema to God. Because I've seen starving people with a lot more faith than I have. Because they're trusting God to not die that day. This passage needs to be kept in its proper context. You see, our anchor is in heaven. It's not here on earth. Amen? We learned that in the book of Hebrews, didn't we? Steadfast and sure, beyond, behind the veil. The anchor of my faith isn't here. And so the search for the things that are going to really take care of my life are actually not here. They're in heaven. I should want what heaven wants. And I need to ask for that. There's an old hymn, We Have an Anchor. It's written by Priscilla J. Owens. 
And it asks the questions, will your anchor hold in storms of life when clouds unfold or wings of strife? When strong tides lift and cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? And then comes the answer, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. The answer ultimately to every prayer is, Lord, what do you want? And whatever the Lord wants, that is actually the answer. Thy will, your will, Lord, be done. The second person we meet here is a man who's blessed, overjoyed, the opposite of overwhelmed, if any is merry. So this can't always be about sickness, can it? Pretty implicit here. If someone is merry, let him sing psalms. The word for merry is actually an interesting word. It means to be cheerful. Case in point is the, is the Apostle Paul. If you remember in, in the book of Acts in chapter 27, Paul's a prisoner. He's on his way to go to, to be before Nero in Rome. And on the seacoast of Asia Minor, uh, the fleet that he's in gets into a horrific storm. And everybody's going to die. The captain makes this case for going for another harbor. And the apostle Paul says, nah, don't worry about it. We're all going to be just fine. God told me I'm going to Rome. And there isn't any storm that's going to keep me from doing that, even the one that looks like it's going to kill all of us. He was so sure that God had spoken to him that even in the storm, he said, let it roll. Bring it on. They were in that storm for a total of 13 days and nights. The Euroclidon winds that blow down from Europe, from the Alps, out into the Mediterranean, are often hurricane force. Now imagine Paul is coming from the coast of what we would call modern-day Lebanon, and he's trying to sail north directly against the wind. And he's saying, eh, don't worry about it. We haven't moved. They're eventually blown out into the middle of the Mediterranean. And Paul's saying, well, it's going to be just fine. It wasn't until they were almost dead that the Apostle Paul said the same thing. Be of good cheer. Cheer up, guys. God's got this. He's already spoken, and that's enough for me. Sometimes the answer to your prayer is, Jeff, I've already spoken. I already told you what's going on. It's a storm, and he's waiting for me to somehow say, all right, Lord, let me be of good cheer right now. Let me look at this from your eyes. Even if it takes my life, what's the worst that can happen? I go home to be with Jesus. Amen? There's a third person. A man who, unlike the first one, who's just simply overwhelmed, 
This one is completely overcome. If any is sick among you. The word for sick there is the classic word, Greek word for sick. But it means actually more than what we would normally use the word sick. We would use feeble or diseased or infirm or even, in a sense, near death. This person needs hospice care. This is not somebody who's just classically sick. They got a cold. They're, you know, they, they have something going on that can be cured with some over-the-counter medications. This person is about to croak. They're almost dead. And we're to pray for that person. Normally, that type of person goes to a doctor. Amen? The Apostle Paul is actually traveling with Dr. Luke. Spent a lot of time with him. And Dr. Luke actually ministered to the Apostle Paul. He didn't refuse medicine, but he also believed in prayer. So we pray and we go see doctors. We take our medication. We have the surgery that's recommended. mind-boggling to me how many Christians is, well, you know, I've been praying, so I'm not going to go to the doctor. There's a whole cult that was started in this country. Christian science. Seventh-day Adventism. All believe, well, you know, let's not go to the doctor. Strange to me, some of the best hospital care that we have in this state is actually at Adventist hospitals. It's nuts. It's crazy. Church, God uses doctors a lot. God uses scientists a lot. God uses nurses a lot. God even uses over-the-counter medications. I mean, thank God for Tylenol and ibuprofen. Amen? So, so don't... Don't be that person who says, well, you know, I just, I, I'm just trusting God for healing. No, God gave you a brain. Go take some Tylenol. <laughs> Seriously. Sometimes I, I listen to Christians, it's almost like they think they're doing God a favor by rejecting the medical care that's been offered to us in this country that nowhere else in the world has. And he's giving you the simple out. Yeah, go see a doctor. They can fix that. Well, I'm just going to rest in the Lord. Well, you have arterial sclerosis. You're going to die. Well, I'm just trusting God. You're not trusting God. You're testing God. Let me be very clear. It's an extremely rare person that actually has so much faith that when they've been diagnosed with a life-threatening medical condition that the first thing you should do, obviously, is prayer. God doesn't remove it. If you still got it the next day, go see the surgeon. Go get a stent. Go take care of yourself because you are no good to God if you're dead. Okay? God put you on this earth to spread the gospel. You can't spread the gospel from a coffin or an urn on somebody's mantle. Be careful. Pray, yes, always, every time. But after you've asked God a few times and you still got the same condition, go take advantage of some of the best medical care that exists in the world and let God use the doctor in faith or the nurse in faith 
or the medication in faith, or the surgical procedure in faith. You see, it still takes faith for you to undergo anesthesia. For you to submit to that surgical procedure. That's not a lack of faith. That is just simply saying, God, you chose not to heal me, so I'm going to put my faith now in this doctor. Your hands, Lord, guide that surgeon. Notice the prayer for healing. Let him pray over him. Now, I will tell you a very high percentage of prayer requests, I think at any and every church, are for physical healings. Vast majority. Second to that's probably finances. But here in this church, I can tell you emphatically, a vast majority of the prayer requests I get are for some form of healing from something. That is well-founded, well-purposed, and should be done. Let me be very clear here. Absolutely pray about every single malady you have. Everyone. Don't let anything go unprayed for. Let him pray over him. But can I tell you this? You may not get healed. No matter how many times I pray over you, no matter how much oil I dump on your head, no matter how many times you come to the elders of the church, the fact of the matter is, I do not know a pastor that has not prayed over people earnestly, anointed them with oil, and seen that person die. And anyone who tells you differently is a charlatan and a liar. God doesn't heal every malady. He doesn't raise up every dead boy. He does not take care of every disease so that you are perfectly well. I know pastor after pastor after pastor that have been prayed for by other pastors until there's no more pastors left to pray for them that have been anointed with so much oil that they can slip through a crack in a door. They have been prayed over endlessly. I have sat with them and agonized with them only to have them die of that cancer. Only to have them die of covid Yes, that's right. We've prayed for people who had COVID and they've died. Died. They weren't kind of sort of sick. They're dead. They're in heaven. So please, if you take something with you tonight, the prayer of healing is still in the hands of God. We do not know why he chooses to heal some and not others. And this passage does not guarantee that everyone gets healed. You'll save yourself and many, many others tons of grief if you will yield to the truth of this passage, and that is it's primarily about the person who's racked with sin. It is secondarily about someone who is sick, but it is primarily about someone who's in sin. Otherwise, we end up in the same place as people that you see on TV. The fact of the matter is, some things are just thorns in the flesh. 
I have multiple medical conditions that I have prayed earnestly over for a very long time that God has not chosen to take away. I don't know why. I serve the Lord. I can also tell you that there's not any sin that he's dealing with. Not that I'm aware of. I don't know why I sat on a veterinary table in Brazil having a heart attack. I have no idea. I was actually there teaching at a Bible college. You'd kind of think that would give you a pass, right? It's like, Lord, I'm doing your work. Could I just like not have a heart attack right now? Somehow that didn't work out. But you know, I learned something. That God sometimes allows really terrible things to happen to people who are actually serving the Lord with everything they got. You see, when you pray for healing, you're still praying that God would remain God. That God would do what God wants to do. And sometimes God allows babies to die. Yep. Sometimes God allows children to die. And husbands to die. Wives to die. Sometimes that sickness that is going to make our lives miserable, painful. Prepare yourselves for what I'm about to say is actually ordained of God. He has a purpose you can't see and I can't see. We don't know. And he's going to do something with that sickness that you would never choose for yourself. And it might not even be for you. It might be for somebody else. Maybe someone is going to see you suffering and going through something that you can't even imagine you would ever have to go through and they are going to be transformed because of your pain. Don't miss that. Because if you miss that, you'll misinterpret this passage. And you'll start wondering, well, God, why didn't you heal me? Why didn't you heal my wife? Why didn't you heal my son? Why didn't you heal my daughter? Why didn't you do that, God? Your word says. Well, actually, his word doesn't say. So be very, very, very careful. Because I've watched people walk away from the Lord because of misinterpretation of this passage. I said, God didn't heal my son. I don't even believe in him anymore. I was told if I would just pray in faith, and I just anointed him with oil, that it'd be all right. Church, it won't always be all right. Not until you get to heaven. Then it will be all right. And you'll see it from God's perspective. And you'll know why he allowed what he allowed. Until then, you may not know. Pray. Pray. Some prayerful procedures for us. I just simply mention some things. And I want to remind you that during that time, they had no CVS. They couldn't go down to the local drugstore and pick up any over-the-counter medications. In fact, one of the very few things that they did have in some great supply was oil, very specifically olive oil and many other oils. And if you're old like me, 
You can probably remember when our parents used to give us some wonderful things like castor oil. Dear God in heaven, it's a wonder we didn't die from that. Or oil of camphor. You remember that beautiful stuff? Some of us who've been around a while. Put some of that down the back of your throat or in your nostrils. Or if you were having a little problem with your uh, ability to use the restroom, cod liver oil. Or how about the peppermint oil for your congestion, which also burned the skin off of your lip? Honestly, I think the castor oil was just a flat-out lie. That was your parents not liking you. (laughs) You had done something, and so here, have some castor oil. But oil was used throughout history, and really until about the 1800s, one of the very few things that was used consistently. In fact, you may have heard of something called a snake oil salesman. Why? Because they would simply mix all kinds of things into some form of oil, Normally, one of those that I just mentioned, very often castor oil, put something else in it and say, here, this will cure whatever ails you. Well, it's because oil actually had some medicinal benefits. And so I believe this passage actually does teach the combination of two things that we need to have faith and we definitely need to pray over the things that are going on in our lives. But it could be that the Lord also might be leading us to do what's medically appropriate. Anoint that person with oil. It may not necessarily be that this is all spiritual that's being talked about here. The context seems to indicate that it may be very much equal that what is in view here is not only asking for the Holy Spirit to do its job, but also asking for whatever medicinal things there are available to you to do their job as well. So it could be medicine and a miracle. It may not be one or the other. So don't confine it to one or the other. If you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Be anointed with oil. Make sure that you've done that part. That's an absolute essential step one. Do that first. And then after you've done that, and you're still not feeling all that well, hit up the cold aisle in CVS. Get yourself some Robitussin DM if you've got chest congestion. Look, no, I don't want to practice medicine here. Call your doctor. Do a video chat. It could easily be that what is in view here is praying very specifically in the name of the Lord. Lord, thy will be done. Every time Jesus prayed, what did he pray? Lord, your will. Father, your will. So after that time of prayer and going, I don't, I'm not sure that I know what God's will is, pray for anything and everything at that point in time. But four and a half years later, maybe it's time to go get some medicine. A false theology exists here that I've seen Absolutely wreck people's lives. Please don't buy into it. We have wonderful medical care. We have people that have spent their entire life learning everything they can to try and help you. And we should be thanking God for them, not blaming God 
that they're making us wear masks. Okay? Just saying. I believe we should be thanking God for the opportunity that we actually have vaccines in this country instead of complaining that we have vaccines. I can't even tell you how many hundreds of millions of people whose lives have been either enriched or spared because of vaccines since the mid-1800s. And so please pray and do everything necessary that your doctor tells you to do. That's why they went to school for 10 years. That's why you didn't. Okay? I'm off my soapbox now, I think. It isn't that you don't have enough faith. It's that there's some rotten exegesis out there that says, if you have enough faith, God will heal everything. That's simply not true. Ask Lazarus. Did Mary and Martha pray for Lazarus before Jesus got to Bethany? The Bible says they did. They were Jesus' close friends. The prayers of Jesus' close friends must not have been very good because their brother croaked. Right? Be careful. Pray correctly. God isn't healing. Make sure that you take all the rest of the steps. There's a very prayerful assertion here. What was asserted? And we can't dismiss this passage as being, you know, just simply apostolic and only in an age. Obviously, God does heal, and we should ask for that. That's very simple. But I want you to notice the authority that's here, the authority of the prayer involved, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Shall. Save. The appeal here is to the Lord. It's a possibility. It's one of the conclusions. It is not specifically said about a situation. It's that the Lord can heal any situation. Do you understand the difference? Shell means it's possible in the mind of God and with God's capabilities. It means that God is quite capable of healing anyone and everyone every time. But it actually doesn't say he will heal everyone every time. It simply says he can. In other words, it's referring to his ability. It is not referring to the person that's praying. Again, very important. You see, if you take words out of context, if you take a text without a context, you have actually started a pretext. You have forced it to say something it doesn't say. And that, unfortunately, is what a lot of people do with this passage. They forget what's actually being said here. This appeal is not to a cult leader. It's not to a phony healer. It's not to a dead saint. The appeal is to the Lord of hosts, the King of heaven, the creator of heaven and earth. But when you do that, you automatically have to understand that God doesn't heal everyone. The Bible is filled with that truth. It's actually filled with that truth about people who were righteous. Let me give you another example. His name is Job. Job actually was seemingly cursed. 
His kids did die. And yet, well, you know, God's just got to heal me. No, God just don't got to heal you. God can heal you. But don't let what God can do be your cue to say God has to, because he doesn't have to. He shall. He can is another way to look at it. It's positive. It's undeniable. It's actually assertive. But does it work every time? Let's find out why. The third part of verse 15 gives us this truth. And it's really easy to see. And if, here it comes, he's committed any sins. Ouch! So what type of healing do you think he's talking about? Spiritual. If he's committed any sins, doesn't say if he smoked his entire life. Doesn't say if he's got cardiovascular disease. It says if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the point is, we're to pray for healing. The healing becomes the secondary aspect of it, but the bigger issue is he needs to be healed of his sins because without that, no one sees God and then you are sick for the rest of eternity. Very clear what the context is here. It is chiefly about being forgiven of our sins. And there's some words that are used here that are very, very important to this context. The person who is involved, evidently, in this particular part that is played in this, in this story of being sick, is also guilty of sin. Can I tell you that sometimes you are sick because of your sin? You can be mentally sick, you can be emotionally sick, and you can be physically sick from sin. In fact, in the lives of believers, it's probably more probable that you are sick because of sin than any other source. If you get engaged in knowing sin, in other words, you have no fear of the Lord and you just engage in whatever you want to engage in and you get sick, it is highly likely that God allowed that sickness to get your attention. And so it would be very, very important for us to recognize that the context here says if he has committed sins, emphatically, they shall be forgiven. If you pray, why? Because 1 John 1, 9 says specifically that will happen. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is an agreement with a much broader piece of what the Bible plainly declares. Very narrow interpretation would say, well, you know, if I'm sick, God's got to heal me. Know what it says? If you confess your sin, you'll be forgiven and you'll be healed. And if that's you confessing your sin to God and asking Jesus in your life as your Savior, it's going to heal you from everything eventually. Amen? The word if here used in the New Testament is used four different conditional ways. Those four structures are up there on the, on the slides for you. And I want you to really think about what's being said here because the first class, if, means it's an assumption it assumes certainty. There's no contingency. It's just if. If this, then that. We know those things as if-then statements. If one thing is true, if A is true, B is also true. 
The Greek language allows for that usage. A second class if means if it were so. It's rhetorical. In other words, it's actually commanding that it's not true. It's saying if, but it's saying if in the negative. That's not this if. What this if is is a third class if. It's used in this passage very specifically, and it means more than likely and is thereby assumptive. In other words, the assumption is if he sinned, probably true. If she sinned, likely true. If there's sin in the life of this person who claims to be a Christian, then God will forgive those sins, heal that person. And the fourth if we don't even have to talk about because it means remote or not even likely. The word for sick here is a different word than in verse 14. Very important. The usual word that's used in, in verse 14 is astheneo. Astheneo can mean diseased or sickly. It can be suffering from a malady, those types of things. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is camno. And camno, 100% of the time, actually pertains to the soul, to the heart, to your mind. It's weariness. It can be mental, it can be emotional, or it can be spiritual, but it is never physical. Ever. Very specific word usage in this passage. Why? Because the context demands it. This is why biblical exegesis is so important. If you just read this in English, especially if you read it in a really modern version, like the New Living or the NIV, you could come up with some pretty crazy things that God must do for you. But when you actually study it and you look at the greater context of it, which is actually clear even in the modern versions, you realize that the bigger issue here is someone who is sick with sin. Someone who's lived a life apart from God. Someone who hasn't asked the Lord to heal their heart and their mind and their soul. So their physical sickness actually doesn't even really matter all that much. For what profits it a man if he gains the whole world? Jesus said, but loses his or her soul. So the issue here is soul care. It's heart care. It's care for that part of you that's eternal. Camno can be translated even fainted. And that's fainted as in there's something mental that happens and you just, you see something, you, you see some gory scene, you see something happen to someone some of us have a higher tolerance for those things than others. I've watched people, their, their own, and for those of you in the medical profession, you've seen this more than I have. I have seen it as an EMT. I've watched people who are bleeding look at their own blood and pass out from seeing their own blood. I have watched people have their blood drawn, pass out from seeing their own blood. That kind of fainting. In other words, there's something that goes on in your heart and your mind. And so what's James reminding us of here? What's really being said? What's well, very, very, very deliberate. This person is not just physically sick. They're spiritually sick. They got a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with their Lord. And so if he confesses his sin, 
and the elders pray over him. Why? Because if we confess our sin to one another, we have accountability. It's like, Lord, don't let me get involved in that thing. The promise is dependent on the plans that God has for your life. You know what plan I know he has for your life? He desires that all men, every last human being, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That I can tell you absolutely emphatically. He desires no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. Very plain teaching of Scripture. Amen? So we know that. In order to do that, guess what happens to your life? God the Father has to make you sinless through the blood of his Son. And so if that's you, if you're in sin, then you've got a problem with God and you're going to be miserable. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you of that sin. You're going to look at those things in your life and go, man, i got a problem with God. The problem is for somebody who doesn't know the Lord, that problem's fatal. It will cost you your eternity. And so James tells believers, make sure you get this right. If someone has sinned, and more than likely they have, then let them confess that sin and let the elders pray over them and anoint them with oil. That that effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much because the bigger issue is your soul. Bigger issue is your soul. How's your soul doing? You know, when somebody asks me how you're doing, if my soul's good, what happens to my body ultimately doesn't matter. Well, sure, it might hurt today or it may not feel as well as it could. None of us like that. I would prefer to have perfect health. Sometimes I have pretty good health and sometimes I don't have great health. There is a prayerful assumption here and it's contained in all of these ways to see the word if. And so don't confuse this with a cold. <laughs> don't make it about cancer or some other thing. Keep it exactly the way the Lord intends. And we're going to see that strengthened by the remaining couple of verses. As we wrap this chapter up and wrap this book up. Because this person, like most people, really their problems are not so much physical as they are spiritual. Yes, we want to pray over people who are going in for surgery. We do that I, I honestly don't think, I'm sitting here looking at Dave, we probably pray for 15, 20 people a day, each, as staff members. Whether it's on the phone or in person, we are constantly praying for people who are sick. Constantly. I mean, it happens all the time. But you know the one prayer that I know God answers the same way every single time you pray it? Lord, I believe. Jesus, come into my life. He answers that prayer 100% of the time. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will, you shall. It is absolutely positive you'll be saved. Amen? That's what's in focus. Soul care. 
Make sure that person's a believer. And if they are a believer and they're disobedient, they're walking away from the Lord, they're impotent. That word astaneo could also be that. But camno is for sure someone who is not powerful in the Lord. They're weak in the Lord. That's why Isaiah said, your sins have separated you from God so that he does not hear your prayer. You are impotent in spiritual things when you're in sin. So you're not going to have spiritual power. There's going to be no power of the Holy Spirit in your life when you're in sin. So guess what's going to get affected? Your mind, your soul, your heart, your emotions, and sometimes even your physical being. Any of you had a stomach ache from worry? Any of you developed an ulcer from worry? Any of you ended up with heart problems because you're too stressed out? Hello? You think your spiritual condition can't affect your physical condition? It absolutely can. And so he says, pray for the person that's dealing with sin, that they might be healed. There is a postscript here. And it begins with Elijah. And it simply says, Elijah was a man with like nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. And brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, you see how it goes back to the spiritual person. There's one word in this whole passage that has anything to do with your physical well-being. The whole rest of it has to do with your spiritual well-being. There's one word, church, one, about your physical well-being. The whole rest of the passage, its context and the words themselves, continually point us back to our spiritual relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. If anyone among you wanders from the truth, what truth? The truth of God. All that we are. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, you know what the second half of it was? There's two people groups, every tribe, tongue, and nation, baptizing them in the name of the Lord and then teaching them all things as I have commanded you. All the truth of God's word. If someone wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner, notice it doesn't say a sick person, a sinner, a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death. Why? Because the Bible plainly teaches there is a second death. If you are born once, you are going to die twice. If you're born twice, you will die once. So how many deaths do you want to die? Turns a sinner from his way. Preserves that person's life. Soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. That word is myriad. Every single kind of sin there is. Why? Because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Not just one or two types, but all of it. Every last bit of your unrighteousness is healed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And so the example is Elijah as we wrap this up. Why is that important? This is not abrupt. Some people look at it as, why is Elijah stuck in there? Well, because Elijah dealt with a sin-filled people. Elijah's story, that's all it is. If you read the life of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17 specifically, Elijah put prayers, he's, he's talking about sin in the land. He's talking about the people worshiping false gods and false idols, and then he goes on to fight all these prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He's not going up there to some convention to talk about hip replacement surgery. Get it right. Elijah is an example of someone who was righteous. Amen? Not just, he wasn't just a, you know, someone who had great health. He's homeopathist. He has passions of human beings. He saw the widow's son resurrected. He understood what was going on. Elijah's faith soared, but Elijah's faith flopped. Amen? Elijah is perhaps, you could make a case, that at least in a single instant, probably the greatest example of like extreme, on-fire, radical faith. Okay? Let's just give him that one. I will anyway. The prophets of Baal are chanting. There's 800 plus of them. And he says, so what's going on? Is your God going to the bathroom right now? It's what it says. It says, is your God relieving himself? How come he's not uh, answering your prayers? And just to make a point, Elijah throws water all over his altar and calls down fire from heaven. Isn't it crazy what happens to him the next day? Little Jezebel, I'm going to get you, Elijah. Jezebel! Ahab's heathen wife. Ahab's heathen wife. Not a prophet of Baal. Ahab's heathen wife. I'm going to get you. And Elijah goes running for the hills. It wasn't about healing. It was about faith. It didn't have anything to do with sickness. It had everything to do with righteousness. God wants us to be righteous. If we're righteous, everything will be fine. But if we're not, nothing will be fine. No matter how healthy you are, no matter how long you live, no matter what you have or don't have, if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. If you don't have Jesus, you got what you got right now. You might have the biggest and nicest house on the planet. You might have a bank full of money. You might have a plane, a boat. You may be personal friends with Warren Buffett. But when you die, if you die without Christ, you've got nothing. You've got worse than nothing. You've got an eternity separated from everything that's good. 
You're going to dwell in darkness that's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face and yet you will be in pain. So why do you think James is saying, if there's sin, make sure and deal with that? Because to die sick, probably all of us are going to do that. To have medical problems, most of us are going to go through that. But if you die in Christ, you're going to be perfectly fine. Amen? Amen. That's why I love Elijah's story, because he finally comes back, and we see the effects of all this in what happens. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. Father, we thank you for the truth of verse 20. Lord, that's really kind of our our mission once we come to know you personally. And I want to pray tonight if there's anyone here that's dabbling with that relationship with you, Lord, they have not committed their life to you, Jesus. They've never invited you in. They've not said yes to the offer of grace, Lord, that they would not escape this place tonight without inviting you, Jesus, to be their Savior and Lord and asking you to do exactly what is said here, which is to heal you, to heal them from all sin. And so, God, we just give you those who might be thinking that right now. Lord, everyone that might be watching online or perhaps someone's here in the building or maybe they'll watch this later on YouTube and come across this crazy old guy telling people they need to know Jesus. We need to know you, Jesus. You came and died to prove that. And you were raised three days later. And by believing in you, we have eternal life and there is no other way. And so, God, we pray that you would convince and convict of righteousness by your Holy Spirit tonight. And we pray that as James had a pastor's heart, Lord, after everything was said and everything was done, and after he wrote this letter to the church in Jerusalem, primarily a Jewish church, to the 12 tribes, it said in verse 1, You came that not one sheep would be lost. And so tonight, Lord, we invite you by your Holy Spirit to save the lost. To minister to the broken. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight and they need a touch from you, whether that's physical or spiritual. Lord, we have some elders up front and we would love to pray for them. So we invite you, God, to do miracles in our midst. Heal the sick. Cause the lame to walk and the blind to see. We invite you to do those things in our midst. And we also say, Lord, if there's people here who are sick with sin, Lord, they've been dabbling in things they shouldn't be in. They've walked in a, in a manner of darkness, and Lord, it's overtaken them. Lord, would you shine the light on their life tonight, and would they repent of that sin and be healed? Would they be set back on the right road, turned away from that evil way that could lead unto death? Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that I walk in every day because you, Jesus, are my Savior and Lord. And for the truth of heaven, Lord, the glories that await us that we really can't even imagine. So God, we give you our lives afresh and anew. 
Save those who need salvation tonight. Strengthen those who are broken. And would you cause those who are wayward to come back in the sheepfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.